This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. Remember the 80s band, The Monroes? In particular, the hit song, What Do All the People Know? Well, the guy that sings that song is joining us here today. Yep, my guest today is Tony Ortiz, who has been thrilling audiences with his outstanding singing and heartfelt songs for decades. Currently, as the band leader for Tony Ortiz and the Guns of Soul. The Guns of Soul features Tony's original songs, which are a powerhouse of Americana soul. Well, it's time to get to know him better. Let's talk with Tony Ortiz. Welcome, Tony, to Musician Talk. I'm very, very honored to have you on the show today. Thank you, Pauline. Thank you very much. So we'll just dig right in. And I'm just wondering what what got you started on your um, musical journey? When did you start singing or playing or listening? What was going on in your house when you were young? Those kind of things. Well, I started listening when I was probably six or seven. Started listening to popular, you know, popular music, um, starting with the Beatles and everything that was going on from about 1963, maybe even sooner than that. But 63, I became uh, 1963. I became aware of uh, the Beatles in 64, and and uh, so and and then all the other bands that were coming over at that time. Uh, and yeah. then all the other stuff that was going on, the R&B. And, um, I didn't start singing until I was 13. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was at a... Uh, well, I think I've always been that, but I mean, to really sing was 13 years old. At A, a group of us friends got together and we, we did the uh, a sleepover. And they all went to go get something from the kitchen as late at night. And um, we were listening to the Doors Soft Parade album. They went out and I just stayed back. I was listening to the music and I was singing along with with Mr. Morrison in in a 13-year-old voice. I, I don't even, I mean, I have some recordings of, of 15, 16, but uh, I don't have anything any, any sooner than that. Uh, anyway, so they came back and they were listening at the door and they're all giggling, you know, because, <laughs> you know, it's, it was something uh, they didn't realize that I could do what I did. And so then they all busted in and we're all laughing and, you know, carrying on about it. And then we started a little band at, you know, just a little garage band, a little blues thing. And and that that was fine. It, it was just a start of everything and then it just it just blossomed from there and just kept going i love that that it, it you you know <laughs> your buddies are sitting there listening at the door listening to you be probably listening because you, you sounded really good but of course nobody could really admit that i suppose no no because it's a goof thing i mean you know they all right. rib me and they you know they just said hey you know you you know what are you singing and you know it's like yeah so when you started the garage band did you pick up the guitar then no no i singing was never i never had enough money to have a guitar then so i'm making up for it now and i have many many guitars (laughs) um i think that's that's that is a a must for any guitar player it seems to me it's a lot like uh my mother went through uh the the depression you know she was a lot during the depression and so uh you know it's that kind of thing it's you, you never go hungry again you know my dad was a, a industry butcher or, or a 
you know, a, a, a meat packing plant. Got it. Got it. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't high, high pay. It was enough, but you know, anyway. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we never had that. Right. The disposable income to spend on something. Right. Right. So when did you pick up the guitar? Um, probably when I was maybe in my late teens, a cousin of mine gave me a cousin, uh, Edward gave me a acoustic guitar on, uh, as a gift at some point. Nice. And he just taught me a few chords. He was a guitar player himself. He was a little bit older than me. And so thank God for him. He, uh, that was very nice of him to do that. Yeah. And so I just kind of picked it up from there. And, you know, basically I've been a rhythm guitar player my whole life. I just, that's what I do. And I play a little lead here and there and it's not anything I'm self-taught. So it's not anything technical. Does playing that guitar help you write songs? Was that kind mm-hmm. of part of the reason to pick that up? That you picked yeah, it, up? it does. I mean, you know, it does help. Well, it does help for me. I mean, that's how I do it. Um, right. You know, I, I, play a little bit around with uh, other instruments and whatnot, but I'm not proficient in anything, but um, it does help. And then, you know, just the ideas since I was probably six years old, seven years old, I've always had song ideas or melodies coming oh. to my, so, you know, I'd be in, in the bathroom bathtub, just, you know, singing away on a melody in, in, in a six, seven year old voice. You know? Right. Sure. That's great. Yeah. Um, so let's take a step back. So you started a garage band when you're in middle school or in high school and that, and that, and you you haven't stopped since then. So can you kind of take me, step me through the progression of how you started playing, uh, getting from high school, playing in a garage band to start writing your own music and getting part of a group that, uh, that started playing out how your professional life started, all that kind of stuff. Well, that life started at 16. I mean, we were the, the little garage bands, faded away and I got picked up as is in baseball terms. I got picked up from the minors to go into the majors with a couple of guys that were uh, me and a guitar player, my guitar player friend. And he was a phenomenon guitar player at 13. Wow. 14. So at about 14, 15 years old, we both got picked up by these two older guys from high school, a bass player and a drummer. Uh, Sam Lopez and Larry Dent on drums and Sam Lopez on bass. And they befriended us. And, you know, we were ahead of regular 14 year olds at that time. And we played with them and we played a lot of gigs uh, around the San, you know, around the uh, San Diego area and uh, local car shows and whatnot. I mean, you know, we just did those kind of things. Yeah. And so we, we went from there to, I mean, it didn't stop. And it just, the connections kind of mounted up. I went from the garage band blues thing, playing in the park every once in a while thing, very quickly into a more semi-professional thing, still in school, of course, and doing all that stuff. And then uh, into my early, late teens and early 20s, still trying to make it in the music business with other bands, a band called Airplay. And uh, and then from airplay, I got into the Monroes, which is another thing we'll get into uh, in my history. And then from there, I moved here to Minnesota. I was fed up with the music business. I had been already trying to make it for 10 years. Yeah. And made and had that Monroe success for just a short amount of time, which we'll talk about later. And then uh, 
And then I just was fed up. I, I came out here. I started, I met a woman and we a beautiful woman and we, we got married and, and, you know, had started a family and bought a house and all that kind of stuff. And it was great. I got five kids out of the deal. It's it actually two marriages, but five kids. And they're all great, and they all live here. Oh, and nice. Then, and then uh, at at the point where things were kind of evening out, I, I got back into not only playing but doing some writing, and, and and that has been the case from here, from there, and until this point right now, where I'm just trying to do, I'm trying to do some writing with. Uh, I have a couple of, of opportunities to do writing with uh, a a guy named Eddie Cunningham in Nashville. And then uh, my buddy, Steve Shepard in, uh, in LA where we can do a thing where, well, you can't see it, but I've got, I don't know, all this gear yeah. here to do, you know, be able to do stuff. Um, remotely, uh, remote, right? Remotely. Yeah. 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 That, what a, what a joy. What a gift that is to us to be able to do that and send mm-hmm. tracks, you know, just anywhere across the country, anywhere, anywhere yeah. across the world. Oh, and yeah. I, I think that, um, that all already existed, of course, before the pandemic, but it seemed like we really got a lot of musicians got really, really good at that during the. Com- oh, they had to. Yeah. yeah had to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, excuse me. So uh, let's go back to the Monroes. We, you know, I wish we had like a couple hours to dig into all this, but we don't. So let's go back and just talk about your your journey with the with the Monroes because that's where we know you. You know your voice yep. from, and right. um, and also you know you're talking about the phenomenal thirteen uh, year old guitar player. You must have also been a phenom as a as a singer. Your voice is uh, well, incredible. I, I think that it had matured at about that age of sixteen. Yeah, I I have there is a recording that I did some recordings at that point, and I wish I could get them because I really would like to have them now. Yeah, um, but I don't know. I mean, if there's any way, I'm going to try to see if I can round them up. But yes, I I, I don't know phenom, but I mean it was uh, I was I was seasoned and blessed at that point to have the ability to do what I did, and and then carry that just step by step by step it, it's it's like being a journeyman ele- electrician mm-hmm. you know you learn how to do it and you keep doing it or or a cabinet maker whatever you know journeyman is yeah and and you learn how to do these things it took me a long time to even ex- explain that to anyone because i finally figured out that's exactly what it is it's like any musician they keith richard's been playing it since he you know since he dirt was invented. So, <laughs> you know, so he has that ability to, to do what he does. And it's the same for any people that keep doing it. And that's not to cut down anyone who does it on the weekends. I think that's fantastic. I, I know a lot of guys and gals that do it on the weekend and they love and enjoy doing it. And, and God bless them. That's the way it should be. You know, yeah, exactly. music for everyone. I think music is a healing power and always has been. I so agree. And that's part of the reason that I do this show. It's because I think that the power of music is can't be underrated. Yeah. Or I can't be overrated. Excuse me. Yeah, overrated. Yeah. Yeah, be overrated. All right. So let's take a step back to the Monroe. So you, you yep. got into this group and it, it you got on a label and you got all yep. the all the trappings of, of success there. One hit wonder. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just take you quickly through it. Yes. 
please. So it's 1980, late 80. I get a knock on the door of Bob Monroe and Eric Denton, who is the keyboard player and bass player. Bob's the bass player. And they come knocking at my door only because Bob Monroe tried for my band Airplay a year before that and and just didn't it just didn't work. The chemistry wasn't right, whatever. Okay. And he got a hold of Steve Shepard. So this is a name that keeps coming up. Steve Shepard, my my friend, my good buddy. And he gives Bob my number and my address. And Bob calls me and he says, Look. I remember when I tried out for your band, but I remember you and I'm doing this thing and we have a singer who did some tracks, but we're not really happy with that. So I'm just wondering if you would take, a, if I gave you a cassette, would you listen to it and learn the three songs, whatever it was, and then come and record them with us. And so instead of mailing it, he, he drove from San Diego to Escondido, which is about a 30 mile trip, mm-hmm. him and Eric. And they knocked on my door, and they had the cassette in their hand. <laughs> so they gave it to me. They explained what they were doing, and then they left, and then I listened to it. And um, some of those songs I have, I just found them the other day. As a oh, fact. cool. They're not never released, but recorded, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned them. I went to the, about a week or two later, I went to the studio in San Diego where they were at, and I went in. And I and I was very nervous because the background is that I'm a North County San Diego guy, and these are San Diego big time guys, right? Yeah, San Diego City, San Diego proper. Mm-hmm. So that that whole dynamic is is always been there, right? Some cultural now, dynamics. I mean, now I'm not because you know, I'm in that crowd, but but before that, it was very nerve wracking. So I took I bought a little bottle of whiskey, put it in my jacket. <laughs> Took a couple of hits of that, and then I walked in, and I mean, I wasn't drunk. Obviously, you can't, you know, just right. a couple of. And um, and I went in, and I laid it down, a uh, one song, and I came back into the control room, and they're all just looking at me, and they go, "When can you join the band? When can you start?" Awesome. I, said, I said, "I'll start now." I mean, you know, I didn't have anything <laughs> going on. I was looking for something. And from that point, we started to, well, record all, all the stuff that we had to demo to send out to the record companies. And then we got a manager. Bob got a manager from L.A., John DeVarian. And he had been at Chapel or, uh, yeah, Chapel Music. He had been at the publishing company and then he left there. And so he's doing management. Anyway, so he, um, he, uh, he shopped us around and we played, uh, you know, uh, showcases for A&M, uh, Columbia, uh, Warner Brothers, you know, everybody. And, wow. and what finally happened was there was this little tiny label from Japan called Alpha had just moved to L.A. Uh, that year of 81, the beginning of 81. And so they heard us and they, they loved us. Now, this label had uh, Lulu from the 60s. Uh-huh. Lulu. I remember. And had Burton Cummings on the label. And then a guy by the name of Billy Vera, who did um, Billy Vera and the Beaters, he did a song called At This Moment that was record that was made famous by Family Ties. Okay. Yep. Yep. It was on and then it was on the radio. 
and then us and a couple other uh, obscure bands that never really did anything, but those were the main stays of that label. And um, so that label lasted one year. So we went, we recorded the album in LA in two months time. We released that EP had five songs on it. Got it. And uh, we released that EP on Alpha records. We got uh, a and R. I mean, you know, the whole bit, they really did push it, but the radio station started picking it up, picking it up, picking it up. And the fascination of that or the excitement of that is that same thing that you see on that Tom Hanks movie, that thing you do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. In that movie, yes, I have hear their own song on the radio. They go nuts. Yes, that yes. To us, we heard our song, that song. What do all the people know on the radio? And not only on the radio, but I was in my car listening to that. I mean, uh, for the one of the times, and I would change it to the next radio station, the local radio, and they're playing it there too. And oh, that's the next- so exciting! So it was fantastic. <laughs> I had to pull over and listen. I mean, I just it was a. Uh, it's the kind of thing that gives you chills or the hair on your back, your neck stand up. Yeah. Or, or makes you want to throw up. One of the <laughs> Cause it's pretty exciting. So from there we got on tour that summer with Rick Springfield, who was big with Jesse's girl and all this other stuff that was. Going yeah, on. totally. Um, and you know, he was big and he's a great guy. A, a fantastic person. And his band was great and very kind to us. And, nice. and we've, opening act the tour ended in seattle and uh after a night of celebrating that night we we all went back we had a motorhome that we were traveling around in not a nice one just a regular <laughs> motor and we uh we all went back to san diego and about a month later we were at at alpha uh you know the company at the uh, at the offices and we were you know in there talking to them the president of the company about making a video for then the very new MTV. Right. And as that was happening, as we were in the offices talking to the president of the record company, the secretaries out in the, in the, in the lobby were asking each other, what are you going to do when we close down when we're, and a girl, a couple of girlfriends, uh, of the band heard this yeah and they told us afterwards and sure enough uh, uh, not more than a couple of weeks later we were told no that's it we're we're the company is folded oh no so our record our uh our record deal was was no good the record the song was still being played and being done it kept growing so from that we got signed to cbs records our manager got very good at he uh, did a great thing and, and got assigned to CBS records. Awesome. But C- CBS had psychedelic furs, had a bunch of other people that were trying to get pushed. And uh-huh. we were very low on the totem pole. And our A&R guy, our artist representative guy, he loves uh, CBS. He left uh, the CBS records and went somewhere else. And that was it. That was our death nail, and and that was it. We we were put on the shelf, as they say in the business. Yeah, and uh, that was it. And so we tried to hang on, try to do this and that. I just didn't have the the wherewithal to <sighs> to uh, keep going on after knocking my head against the wall for so many years, and yeah. that's when I I moved to Minnesota. 
You know, it just seems like luck and timing play such a huge role. Absolutely. You know, I saw a thing on on uh, on interview with somebody uh, that that's in, uh, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins. And somebody was asking him, you know, how, how much, what kind of percentage of all the people are trying to make it? He said less than 10%, less yeah. than 10%. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I just, uh, you know, I do this radio show in a small town in Minnesota and the talent yep. that I run across on this show is, is amazing. You know, any of them could have hit hits or so right. many of them could that, yeah. um, it, it's just a matter of who you know and, and timing and luck and, and probably a couple other magical things, you know, that has to happen that have nothing to do with talent really, because there are so many people out there with talent. I mean, of course you have to have the talent. We assume that the talent is there, but once you get past that to make it to that big, big, big step, it's yeah. Crazy. So I understand um, moving to Minnesota and what a great place to move to. I love it. It's a wealth of musicians. It's amazing. The talent and incredible. Incredible. So, Tony, thank you so much for that encapsulation of your time with the Monroes. And I, it, it just sounds like a journey of absolute excitement and heartbreak both. Yep. Um, so I want to get to your first song, um, Just Fine. Why don't we just set the song up? You know, what your inspiration for the song was, what it's about. Uh, yep. Let's start with that. Members of the Guns of Soul, Tony Ortiz and the Guns of Soul is uh, Randy Weidman on guitar. You got um, Mark Metcalf on drums, uh, Frank Placecki on keyboards, Rosa Gaiona on vocals and percussion type stuff. And then we've got Kent Peterson on bass of the Petersons of Duluth. Got it. Okay. I always like to say that. So that's well, there's the Petersons of Minneapolis who are, who are, who are quite famous, actually. And, and he gets a kick out of that one. I yeah. Said. The, the origin of that song, Just Fine, happened from Facebook, of all places. The song, the, uh, a picture came up on my Facebook of a gal with a baseball hat, a baseball cap on. And it was very, um, there was a lot to it. I mean, you know, that kind of picture where mm-hmm. it's, it, it wasn't that she was smiling or not smiling. It was something behind her eyes. It was something. So I got a hold of her through Facebook and I said, do you mind? if I use your picture as a inspiration for a song that I have. Oh, cool. And, and she said, sure, go ahead. She's, she owns a bar in Grand Rapids, uh, Minnesota. <laughs> and That's I don't, cool. I can't remember the name of the bar, but it's a, it's a, it's a bar in Grand Rapids and I'm not even sure if she still owns it or not, but anyway. Um, and so I, I wrote the song around that and it's not, it's not, completely it's not about her it's about the inspiration of that picture that gave me obviously when you write a song it's about other influences in your life you have to write about what you know obviously to make yeah. it uh to make it true to you know someone listening to it will go yeah i've had that experience i know what that's like or yeah, yeah i've been through that and i wrote it and uh, i just kind of uh, did a quick little demo on a on a you know little tape deck thing and I sent it to her, and she was uh, very happy with it. And then I went into the studio with the band, and we and we recorded it. And this is the result of that. Oh, what a wonderful song! I really like it. It's so um, it's very catchy and memorable. Um, and the name of it is "Just Fine." So let's take a listen to this original, written by my guest today, Tony Ortiz, called "Just Fine." 
This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. You just heard a song called Just Fine, played by Tony Ortiz and the Guns of Soul. Uh, and it, this song was also was written by Tony Ortiz, who is my guest today. All right. So um, I love the production of this song. I, I, did you produce it? Well, we all produced it. It was a self-produced thing. I Got mean, it. we didn't have a producer. We, you know, I already had the arrangement put together. So we just went in and we just recorded it. Um, Kent Peterson has a part, a part ownership of a small little studio in Minneapolis. So we went in there and we just quickly did a, quite a few songs. And we're trying to release this, uh, a new CD with this song and many other songs on it. Um, uh, I, the reason I say produce is just I, what really struck me is, and I love, I love harmonies and backup singing and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And that it's so tasty, the place that you put the backup singing. Um, right. And, and, um, and how you added it to the, when it comes back in with might take me and it's, so it's not just backup then it added to your voice. And I just, I just thought that was so well done. It's so well placed where you decided to put the ooze and all that. And of yeah. course your voice just, it's um, right there present right in front of you. And I love that. And okay. what a great voice. Really, really, oh, thank really yeah, awesome. Um, the song reminds me a little Mellencampy ish. Yeah. That yeah, kind of comes to mind. Yeah, um, I like that. I love I love all that influence. I you know, growing up in Southern California, there was a lot of influences with everything, and that was before Mellencamp, but I had a lot of influences with a lot of the folk rock that was going on, the Eagles and uh, Crosby Stills Nash and all that stuff, but also a lot of rock, little feet, you know, a lot of that southern stuff that's not southern, if you right. know what I mean. Yep. I mean, I like I've told you before, I've been trying to make it in this business for a long time. I recorded in um, you know, LA studios before the Monroe's and trying to make it and do right. things. And it was always, let's get it punchy. Let's do. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a business and it's a tough business. It is. But I implore anyone to go out and try it. My grandson, who's 21, 22 now, 22 now, he's in LA, he's in uh, San, in California trying to make it as an actor. And I said, I said, go ahead. Just go for it. You know, exactly. you're done. Go for it. That's and the time you, to do it before you have all the, all the obligations. You know, obligations. And, exactly. And so Tony, um, on this yeah. song with, with this song and other songs, maybe you don't have a process that you follow all the time, but um, in general, do you have a process? And, and if you do, what's that for songwriting? Do you, it sounds like the melody comes first because that started when you were very young. I might have a tune, um, you know, a, a musical uh, thing. And then I will, and then sometimes, the, well, the lyrics come with that after that. And I try to figure out what do I want to say here? What, what does this feel like? And I've been around really good songwriters my whole life. And so I've learned a lot of things. Um, uh, Bob Monroe is the one who wrote, what do all the people know? So, oh, okay. You know, I was I was the singer on that, and I obviously I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that the band and everything. But I wasn't doing any writing until the end when I did some writing with Bob, and Bob and I were doing writing, and that's on a song called "Caught in the Balance." On uh, if you look up on iTunes, it's uh, the Monroe's "What Do All the People Know?" question mark band of the eighties. <laughs> uh, that that song is on there, and I co wrote that with Bob. So. It's been an ongoing thing. I mean, I've always been known for being a very good improvisationalist. 
Okay. Or I can make something up on the spot or just a, a stream of consciousness on an idea and just go, okay, let's just see what comes up. And then I birth that and then I start to mold that. And then, you know, that sometimes happens. That didn't happen on Just Fine. That song came together like it is. Uh, another song I have called Right Now He's Singing with the Angels is a song about my dad after he passed away back mm. many years And that song came to me in 15 minutes. Wow. Where I just couldn't, I had to keep writing and just keep, and you know, I had to, it was right there. Everything was there. So, you know, it happens like that. You hear a lot of stories about songwriters that just go, I don't know where it came from. It just kind of came from somewhere. Obviously, it comes from your your consciousness. It comes from your own experiences, but they get funneled through the universe and come down through you. And then it comes out and you start writing it down. And, and, and people, you know, it depends on the song, but people do uh, love that song. They love Just Fine. They love the songs because they have something that they can identify with, you know, and, and, and kind of bring to the table, you know. Absolutely. As well as the talent behind all the musicianship. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. Right. Well, that's interesting. And I love the idea that you use your improv skills. I'm an actress, so uh, I, I get you that. Go. You use your improv yeah. skills to collaborate. And that is so, I think that is so key in creating any art. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's beautiful. So I said we would get back to this, and let's do that right now. Tony Ortiz and the Guns of Soul. When you got to Minnesota, it sounded like you had some connections here, but not a not a wealth of them. How did you put your no. band together? How did you find the people? How did you? Uh, well, it took many or? years. I was I was uh, hidden away in suburbia, you know, mm. uh, married and had you know kids, and and they're just a funny side story. So what do all people still be playing on the radio, right? Uh huh. And my son, who's in kindergarten is or first grade, was getting on the bus. One of my sons, I have three of them, but one of them, the youngest one, was on the bus to go to kindergarten or first grade. I can't remember what. He's on the bus. He gets on the bus, and the bus driver has music on from uh, KDWB or something back then. I mean, this is many years ago. Sure. And and what do all the people know comes on? <laughs> and he goes, that's my dad. That's my dad. He goes, yeah, kids, sit down. <laughs> sit down. Sure it is. Yeah, sit down. So right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I was stuck away in suburbia, and, and that was fine. Um, I was uh, happy with that at that moment. And then um, somewhere around 2006, 2007, is when I started to kind of formulate and start to get to know some of the musicians around here. And then... Um, figure out what I wanted to do and, and start putting things together. And, you know, the guns of soul have gone through a couple of iterations of people, but right now with the solid people I have right now is, is what we go out and we, we play and we do, we have a great time and the chemistry between us is fantastic. Uh, at this part right now, my biggest thing is I'd like to do songwriting with some other people and, and, places like Nashville and LA and then, and then do my own thing here in, in Minnesota. And if it takes me other places, I've had offers to go to New York and down South and whatever. And, and I may take those up, but I mean, it, it's, it, you know, I, I have a full-time job to pay for guitars and <laughs> fairly close to retirement. And when that happens, then, then I will be playing a lot more and doing a lot more things, but I'm already thinking of what I want to do with nice. the rest of my career. 
And uh, speaking of playing out, uh, you have a gig, a solo gig with a bunch of other songwriters this Thursday, November. That's right. Yeah. At seven o'clock at the Grand in Northfield. And this is called Singers in the Round. Mark Gross has put this together. I think this is the fifth one. Yeah, um, it's a series, and it's. I encourage everybody to go. It's really wonderful. You have four, three or four songwriters up there. They take turns talk, talking about their song and playing their song. It's fantastic. And, it's yeah. it's a great room. The audience is fantastic. Wonderful people, and yeah. I'm glad that Mark Ross is putting that together like that. And I hope he continues to do it because it's a very good thing. I do this section every week, and it's a our quote section. So I find a, a quote by somebody in the music okay. industry. And this time I decided to pick Bruce Springsteen. Um, okay. And uh, he says, you've got to learn to live with what you can't rise above. And so how does this speak to you personally? Well, yeah, I, I respect and love Bruce very much. Yeah. I, I've always loved him since the beginning. And um, um, I think that what he does, I, I, I mean, I'm just speaking on the quote itself. It may be simplistic, but, that's exactly what he's all about. There's no hidden agendas behind him. Yeah. And if he has an agenda, he makes it clear, yeah. you know, so it's not some kind of a weird uh, hidden thing. It's, it's in your face and he's, you should know what you're getting when you talk to him. Now he's a human being just like all the rest of us. And he has a private life and, and we all, we should all respect that always. It's an emotional, but also very practical quote. Because it brings me to my own personal journey of music where I'm not a pretty boy, you know? Mm. I mean, a lot of pretty boys and guys that had uh, triple threats with, uh, you know, the looks and the talent and, and everything else. And it just, I could never rise above that, no matter how much I tried. And, and, and so I stopped trying. I mean... You do what you do. You take me for what I am. And that is what I can do for you. And if you don't like it, that's that's okay. That's your deal. That's for you to deal with, not me. You got to learn to deal with things that you can't rise above is is exactly that. You know? It's like kind of like the whole journey of life. You know, yeah. your life is going to be so much better if you can do just this, right? And not be banging your head against the wall on things that you can't change. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, women yeah. go through this their whole life with the whole looks thing. You know, it's uh, if, I, if I were thinner, if I would, if my, if this, exactly. this, this, and that. Then. If I was thinner, if I was better looking, if I was this or that. But you know what? You are, <laughs> you are as good looking as you want to portray yourself with. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's it's not about that good looking. It's about the inner beauty of a person that I come to grips with. You have to have an inner beauty. You have to have. You're, you have to be competent with yourself. You have to take care of yourself. You have to do all those things and take care of those around you. Yeah. You can't treat somebody like crap and think that, it, oh, it's great. It's not. It's just not. It never will be great. So anyway, that's that's. I think it's a good quote. I think it, it means a lot of things to different people, but it's simplistic in the sense that exactly it means what it says. Yeah. 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 So what I would like to do before we go, I want to play the song that we've been talking about 
first, uh, you know, yeah. in and out of this interview. Um, what do all the people know? So I'm going to go ahead and just play that song right now so that pe- it, people are reminded of the song that it is and how wonderful it is. Now, remember, and- it was it was at 54 on the Billboard 100. Wow. 54. Got it. Didn't it. break the top 40, but it was 54. And then it then it everything fell. So, well, anyway. I tell you what, I totally, I totally recognize it. I was in high school in the eighties, so it was, I, it was one of the songs on the play, on the, on the rotating playlist. That's for sure. Right. So Thank here you. it is. What do all the people know? With singer, my guest, singer Tony Ortiz. You could always speak your mind You work so hard to say what's right I watch you do it all the time And when I called you on the phone You said that I could be the one But here I'm standing all alone And you're out lying in the sun Tell me am I getting in too deep Every night I'm talking in my sleep
This is Musician Talk, and I'm your host, Pauline Jennings. My guest today is Americana heavy hitter Tony Ortiz, and you just heard him when he was singing with Monroe's on a song called What Do All the People Know? So, Tony, yeah, that just brings me back. That's for, that's for certain. Yeah, it does bring a lot of people back. And, it, you know, the thing about it is it's surprising that it was all over the country, right? Yeah. And and in pockets of the country like New Jersey, Minneapolis, New York, Long Island, uh, down south, Florida. I mean, it got a lot of play all over the place. And it yeah. was in, in even some pockets that I, I can't even remember where it was, like in the Midwest somewhere other than Minneapolis. So, yeah, it's it's great. It was great to, to have that feeling of having that reach so many people and so many people don't recognize or even know the name of the band but they know that song yeah you know exactly exactly so uh i also have a section of the show called best gig worst gig best gig worst gig and so (laughs) um i'm sure you have many best gigs and there might be more than one worst gig but if you could give me a representation of each that oh yeah i will i will too the best gig is is playing with rick springfield in yeah. those big, big auditorium, well, auditorium, big places. We played in lacrosse and it was at the civic center in lacrosse. I don't know, probably maybe a 20,000 seater. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it was, it was a lot and it was great. I mean, those are best gigs, those kind of gigs. And, yeah. and of course, even the little gigs I have now with the guns of soul, I've had a lot of good gigs where it comes up and it feels really great. Yeah. But there is, a couple of worst gigs. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll speak of two kind of worst gigs. The first worst gig is way back in the seventies. I was playing in a cover disco band in, <laughs> in the seventies. And we went to a place in San Diego, this is San Diego, California. We went to a place and the owner or whoever manager comes up and he goes, listen, no jokes, no jamming. What? No jokes, no jamming. <laughs> so we proceeded to jam and tell jokes as much as we could until we got kicked out of there. <laughs> um, and then I guess another one is uh, when the Monroes were on tour with Rick Springfield, we were in lacrosse. And it was a good gig. But after the gig, we had, we uh, usually Rick would take off and go do General Hospital. Oh, okay. Okay, but he was off that weekend. So, so we stayed in lacrosse. Everybody stayed in lacrosse, and so you know his band is saying, "Where's the place to go?" I don't know. We don't know. But there's a million bars in lacrosse, as oh, you know. Totally. We ended up going to this big bars. I don't remember the name of it. It was a big bar, like a big barn, big bar thing. Rick went, his band went, and my band, the Monroes. Went. Oh my. And we went in there and nobody seemed to recognize him for a bit until he was at, in the back of the bar, there was a bunch of video games and whatnot. And there was a Tron game. Remember the game Tron? I do. Okay. He was playing Tron. All of a sudden, all the ladies in there realized that he was there and they all around him swooning (laughs) and he's just trying to play and, you know. Right. Me and my band, we're playing pool. We're just kind of having a good time drinking beer or whatever. And, and his manager comes over, his stage manager comes over and he goes, look, we got to get Rick out of here. All the boyfriends and husbands want to kick his butt. Right. 
and and take him outside. And I said, "What? Oh no!" So I went, and we are uh, we're surrounding him, getting him out of the bill, out of the bar, and we you know we get in the cars and we take off. <laughs> And they're, you know, they're chasing us and then we keep, we just kind of lose them. And then we get back to the hotel and we, you know, we all just kind of laugh about it, but it could have been dangerous. I mean, yeah, it, was, totally. that, it was that I was ready to, you know, say, we got to call the cops or something, you know, cause this is not cool. That's a, that's a first for a worse gig. Definitely. On the show. <laughs> After 75 shows almost. All right. Well, let's, um, much, first of all, let's remind people this Thursday, November 10th at the grand, um, yep. Tony Ortiz is playing uh, some of his original songs, singer-songwriter, just guitar yep. Uh, yep. At, at the Grand with some other singer-songwriters. And I encourage everybody to go. I've, I've been to a couple of them and they are just extraordinary, actually. Yeah, they they're very good. Very good. Talented people all around. Yep. So where can people find your schedule and your music online? Yeah, on our website. It's TonyOrtizSoul.com. Okay. Tony Ortiz Soul, S-O-U-L. Dot com. Okay. And, and if you go there, it'll take you right to our website. It has all our gigs and everything. It has a bunch of, of videos and a bunch of information and everything on there. And, and it's just, uh, it's a good website. And when you're done with your CD, will you come back on Musician Talk? You bet. I sure will. Thank you for your flexibility. I had to postpone and then move it and all this kind of stuff. And you were very gracious and very flexible. And I really appreciate no that. Worries. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So many thanks to Tony for this great conversation and for sharing his music with us today. Thanks always to Wendy Nordquist and to you for listening to Musician Talk on the One, KYMN. Have a glorious day. <laughs>